Um, I want you to open up your Bibles tonight. How many brought your Bibles? Say, oh yeah. Okay, five people did. That's awesome. Five people brought their Bibles to revival meeting. Okay. Um, I want you to open up to Colossians chapter one. And tonight, I want to talk about Jesus. Is that okay? Yeah. Father, I just ask you right now that you use me as a pen in the hand of a ready writer. I ask you to open up our hearts, open up our spirit to receive what you have, open up our soul. Sanctify us, purify us, fill us with joy tonight. Let us see what you want to say tonight. And every person on the sound of my voice, just say this, Adam, say, Dear Jesus, speak to my heart and change my life. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So Colossians chapter 1, in verse 15, I have the Passion Translation because I've really, my daughter got me involved in the Passion Translation. Um, I've really enjoyed this, actually. How many have ever read the Passion Translation? Isn't it beautiful? It's really, really nice. So here it is in the Passion Translation, 1 Colossians chapter 1. Sorry, 1 Colossians. I just did a Trump thing, didn't I? <laughs> 2 Corinthians. Okay. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the divine portrait, the true likeness of the invisible God and the firstborn heir of all creation. For in him was created the universe of things, both in the heavenly realm and on the earth, all that is seen and all that is unseen. Every seat of power, realm of government, principality and authority, it all exists through him and for his purpose. He existed before anything was made, and now everything finds completion in him. Um, I believe it's John chapter 1 in verse 5, where it talks about all things were created through him, by him, for him. And here's Colossians 1.15 saying the same exact thing. All things. Everybody say all. all. All things were created of him, by him, through him, and for him. Now, if you think about it, John chapter one says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Now we've heard that for all our life, most of our life. You read that, you're like, yeah, the word was God, the word was with God and the word was God. But did you know, and I know some people don't like this, but it's okay, I'm here. Um, the word with, the original word with in the Greek actually means face to face. That changes everything. Hold on, what? In the beginning was the word, and the word was face to face with God. Face to face with God. And the word was God. Um, can I get th one, two, three, four chairs? Can I get four chairs? Up on the stage if I can. Can we move this? Um, it's kind of a demonstration. Thank you. I need like one there, one here, one here, and then we'll have one down here. And I need, yeah, I'll 
come up there. I still got it. <laughs> when I was a young man, where's my Jericho? <laughs> my son, he's always like, my back. He's trying to, trying to be like my grandfather. Okay, so one right here, one right here. One right here. Now, in the spiritual realm, before the earth was ever created, and you're going to see why I'm going down this road. Let me think this through. I'm going to use you, if you don't mind. You'll be one. I'm going to use you. Would you come here for a minute? And I'm going to use you. Yes, sir. Come on. Come on up here. So, so I'm going to put you here, I'm going to put you here, I'm going to put you here, okay? In the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was face to face with God. Can you see his face? Can you see his face? And the word is God. In the beginning, there's Father, Son, and Spirit, and they decide, they, everybody say they. They They decide to create us in their image and their likeness. Luke, is it Luke? Hang on. No, it's not Luke. It's Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says, let us, everybody say us. Us. It doesn't say let me. It says let us create man in our, everybody say our. Our. O-U-R. Our image and our likeness. And one day they decided to make us. And when they did, keep in mind, that the enemy had already fallen at that time. Jesus said, I was there when I beheld Satan fall like lightning from heaven to earth. I saw it happen. How's that possible? Because he's in the spiritual realm and he's the word. The word became flesh. Who is the word? Jesus. So what happens is they decide to create us and they bring us to fellowship with them. Pastor. And Adam is created in their image and their likeness. I know what some of you are thinking. But he's white. (laughs) (laughs) What color does he bleed? Red. End of story. He creates him in their image like this, and he has fellowship in the spiritual realm with God. Remember something, that when Adam is walking around the garden by himself, Eve has not showed up yet. She's kind of like, she's kind of hidden inside of him somehow, because the rib hasn't come out yet, nor has the barbecue sauce. When the barbecue sauce shows up, Eve's going to show up. No, I'm just kidding. But you see that there's this fellowship going on with Adam. What really happened in the garden is that God says to Adam, it's not good for man to be alone. Why is it not good for Adam to be alone when God is there with him? He's not alone. 
because God is spirit. He's not flesh yet. And Adam is able to hear and speak with God on the earth like you and I right now, and we hear him inside of our soul because that's where he wants to live. You all with me so far? Yes. Here's, I'm going to tell you why we're going down this road. It's powerful, powerful, okay? And one day, God says, it's not good for man to be alone. So he creates Eve. I need another chair. I need two more chairs, actually. We're going to have fun with this. And since, are, you, are you Jeff's wife? Of course you are. I met you. So come here, come here, Eve. Come here, Eve. Go ahead. Just join the party over here. Now... There's fellowship with Adam and Eve and the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and they are all in fellowship. That's what the Word says. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And they all have fellowship. And, and God says to Adam, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but you can eat from every other tree, including the tree of life. Now, can I ask you a question? Who do you really think the tree of life was? You think it's a physical, actual Cinderella, eat a piece of apple and become wise? Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He is the way, the truth, and the... Oh. Anybody with me still? Or have you checked out? I'm a Pentecostal. Where's the fire? What happens? There is perfect unity and it's a family. It's the family of God. All God ever wanted from the beginning was a family. Go and be fruitful and multiply and have the same thing we did when we created you because we have a family and you're part of this family. Now we want you to enjoy your family and we'll get pleasure out of watching you for the rest of eternity. This is our plan. Now here's what happens. The serpent comes to Eve and speaks to her, and why does he come to Eve? You know, Satan doesn't show up until there's unity. Satan doesn't show up until Eve shows up, why? Because she's the weaker vessel? No, he shows up to her because now there is the full expression of God's image and likeness on the earth. It's not just man. It's man and woman in unity together becoming one. And when they show up, Satan hates unity. Satan's like, I'm all alone. We know you're alone. I want to be God. You can't be God because in the Godhead, there's three, not just one. So he says, no, the Lord thy God is one God. But the Son says, I'm one with the Father. The Father's one with me. And the Spirit does whatever the will of the Father is. So there's your Trinity really figured out very quickly, not very, very hard at all. The, the word, I don't want to go too down on this because I want to keep it on the flow, but the, the, the Lord thy God is one God. The word one in Hebrew is yachad. 
Try to say this with a cup of milk. Yechad. Yechad. Okay, well, actually, that's the word together. Um, it's, it's Echad and Yachad. And the word one is a number, but it doesn't mean just one. It actually, in Hebrew, means one with the other, and it's used in the term of marriage. It's a marriage. Come on, God uses covenant language with us. He has a covenant with Israel. Jesus comes and makes a covenant with the Gentiles, and we are in covenant with him. It's a wedding, it's a marriage, it's a bridal chamber, it's a this, it's a that. So he started out with this idea from the very beginning. He has always wanted a family, and what happened? The enemy comes to the woman because he knows that she is the last one on the planet and if he can convince her to come away from her husband and I can talk to her alone and isolate her, which is the enemy's playground. Always notice that if you start to feel isolated, that's the devil's playground. Whenever you go alone, you should always be with your heavenly father because he's right there waiting on you. You never have to be out from under the shadow of the Almighty. You can always be under the shadow of the Almighty. It's when you go outside of his protection that you start to feel the enemy coming closer to you and you don't know what's going on and you start to interpret it in a way that Adam and Eve once did. So back to Eve. He comes to Eve and he tries to convince Eve. Eve, Adam has a wife and she's prettier than you. <laughs> You know, there's a Moroccan legend in Morocco that they tell the story that they convince, it's, it's not doctrine, this is a Moroccan legend in Morocco, but they have a really cool point to it, that the, the snake somehow convinces Eve that the, Adam has another wife and she's much prettier than you and you should go after her. And if you'll eat this fruit, I'll take you to where she is and we'll get rid of her. So she goes up into a cave and follows a snake into this cave. Again, this is a Moroccan legend. This is not doctrine. I want to make that very clear. When she goes up to the cave, she sees a big body of water, and sure enough, there's, there's the other woman, and she's much prettier. So she thinks. She says, give me that fruit. I'm getting rid of that woman. Adam belongs to me. And she bites into it. The moral of the story is all she did was look in the water and saw her own reflection and got jealous of her own reflection. And their Moroccan legend is whoever gets taken in by the illusion does not get to remain in paradise. The serpent is always referred to as a lie. If you ever have a dream of a snake coming to you, it's a lie about to approach you. So the lie comes and tells you, like this coronavirus makes me want to puke. So, there's so many people afraid. It's just like, well, that's easy for you to say you don't have it, you don't have to go. Are you kidding? I had the flu attack me the last four days and all of a sudden, I just, we got up, we prayed and it, it's gone. It's not that we didn't take care of our body. I mean, some people are sick because they just, they eat everything that doesn't do anything for you. You know, you pray for people. Would you pray for me? I have kidney disease. What's your diet like? Macaroni and cheese and wings? And what do you drink? <laughs> 16 ounce soda, why? <laughs> why am I praying for you? <laughs> You're literally gonna walk out and do it again. So the lie comes, here's where I'm going with this. The lie comes and convinces Eve, hey, you ate the fruit, it's okay, we're fine. 
What if the lie is all about the fact that the whole knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's they were in a real garden, but there's two gardens going on. There's the garden of their soul, which is what God made. He gave them. Genesis chapter 2, 7 says that God formed man out of the dust of the ground. Now, he doesn't have any hands, so to speak. He's a spiritual thing. He just speaks and it starts forming and there's this imagery around of how he forms man. So Genesis 2, 7, he forms man out of the dust of the ground. He breathes into man and makes him a living, breathing soul. So you have two gardens. You have the place that you're in right now and you have the place in here. And God said, I want you to do something, guys. Tend the garden. What does that mean? So you want me to make the bushes into a dinosaur character like Disney? I mean, what are you asking me? He's saying, no, don't just take care of this, but guard your heart. Okay, think about this. They've just come into existence and they have consciousness and their first directive is guard yourself. Why? God didn't even get into the fact that, well, here's what happened. Satan fell from heaven and so he's down here too. And you ever think to yourself, God, why did you let Satan be down here after you put me here? Like, is there a better way to do this, Lord? <laughs> like, if you're from heaven and you created the heavenly realm and I come from you, which is from heaven, didn't I already originate from heaven? And why did you put me down here after the devil? And he says, because I want you to get saved. Why? So you can come back up here. Why? So I can, so you can come down and rule and reign. Is the, um, is there a better way we could do this? <laughs> no. Because I want you to overcome as I overcome. Yes. See, God is good. He doesn't try to be good. He is good. He can be nothing else. You know, God is actually limited. He cannot lie. He doesn't choose not to lie. He cannot lie. But man lies now because of the fall. So speed, let me speed this up. Adam and Eve bite into the fruit. The fruit represents a lie. The day that you eat of the knowledge of good and evil, you are gonna bring in a lie into your heart that I'm against you and not for you. And it's not true. And you're gonna believe a lie about yourself that you are not in my image and likeness and you're gonna start to believe something else. And the day they did that, would you both stand for me? And would you come here? I'm gonna use you as an example. No, no, you guys stay. Can you move your chair back just a little bit, all three of you? The day that happened, turn, turn around. I'm gonna have you turn around now. Go ahead, sit there. And I need you, sir, to sit here. Now watch this. Hang on, hang on. Don't take this the wrong way. But Satan, get behind me. <laughs> the day that they turned away from God, God didn't turn away from them. They turned away from God. God never turned away from them. They turned away from God. And they were lost in their lostness of, I don't know your voice anymore. And the day they did that, Satan became their God. Now, just go with me and use it as an example and really try to get this, okay? Satan became their God. 
and all of humanity thought this was God, prince and power of the air. Jesus said in John chapter 16, the God of this world. Jesus said these words, the God of this world. The God of this world has blinded the eyes of those that cannot see the Father or the Son or the Spirit, anything. They can't even understand this. So God sends prophets down. He has people like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. They come down, they try to get their attention. Like, guys, listen, the Lord loves us. He's gonna try to help us. They're like, no, get out of here. And they stone them and kill them. This is man's problem. Even to this day, we have the wrong God. He established himself as God. It says the prince and power of the air. So look at the media. Propaganda to death. We were raised in schools that they tell you how to live, how you're supposed to be and all that. We want to have Hebrew children, but we let Egyptian children be raised. Why do we want Hebrew children, but we let Egyptian teachers teach our children how to be Egyptians? Now, if you're Egyptian, don't take this the wrong way. It's for the analogy. Is anybody getting this real quick? Because I'm going somewhere with this, okay? This is powerful. When I saw, I did this in jail. I did this in Orange County Correction with 2,500 inmates in there, and we had about maybe 25. They, they closed me in a pod with 25 guys who don't go to chapel service. And I did this, and the majority of them gave their life to Christ after they saw this, okay? One tall dude, six foot five, came up. You know, the guy, he doesn't have it because they take it out, but he looked like he was pierced from here down to here, and there's probably a chain that connects it. You pull it, and like steam comes. He came up to me and he rolled his eyes. He goes, look, man, he says, I heard what you said. And he says, you know, I'm not really religious, but uh, I heard you, man. He goes, that makes sense. But praise God. I want people to see that this God is a false imposter. You understand? So here it is. This, here we are in the Old Testament. So what happens Jesus knows this is going on. The Father knows this is going on. Somebody says, why did God put the tree in the garden in the first place? Because he wants to give you free will and choice, and he knows if I create you like a robot, then you're not truly in my image or likeness. See, your face right now is the face of Almighty God who chose for you to be the projection of who they are on the earth. The full expression, everybody say full expression. The full expression of God is both male and female on the earth, but God is neither male nor female. So at this time, they're getting ready, and the father turns to Jesus and says, son, are you ready? We were, we were for this moment. Why, why did God put that tree in the garden if he knew that they were gonna eat from that tree? You know, think about it like this, like a father. How else could God really truly show how much he loves you unless you really screw it up and he forgives you? Everybody say, my God is my father. He is, he's a father. He loves, he cares about you. He really does care about you. He's not angry at you and mad at you. You know who he's mad at? 
How dare you wear a pink shirt? No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So he says, okay, Jesus, are you ready? You're going to come down and you're going to expose things, okay? Now, can I, have you, can I have you guys get up for a moment? Let's say thank you to them. You guys can go back to your seats. You stay there. Actually, you come here. You're going to represent both Eve and Adam, okay? Jesus comes down. Come on down. Let's say this is Adam, okay? Jesus comes down and says, hey, Adam, um, tap out, tap out. You go over here. And Jesus sits down and squares off with Satan and goes, hi. What's up, Beelzebub? What's up, bub? Hmm. And Jesus is saying, you have lied to all of my kids. And today's judgment day. And your kingdom that you've been running across this earth ends today. And Satan's so blind. You know, have you ever wondered? I, I was always, I was reading the scripture and I thought, Jesus is in the wilderness in the day of temptation for him. And Satan comes to Jesus. Now remember something, he's not in a physical body. Satan is a being just in the spiritual realm as anything else. He comes to influence us into our mind. And I thought, wow, Jesus is walking all alone just like Adam walked alone, just like you and I walk alone. He's going through everything we go through. We feel alone sometimes. He even says, uh, you know, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's, he's expressing his humanity of how he feels alone. His own friends are deserting him and he's laying down his life for them and he's alone. He understands how you feel in your aloneness, right? And so this one time, there he's going in the desert, the, the temptation in the desert, and the first thing that Satan comes to Jesus about, remember something, J Satan is speaking to the mind of Christ, trying to get a hold of him to bow to the humanity and the lostness of the human flesh and the human condition. And he speaks to the mind of Jesus. He's basically trying to say, you think you're the son of God? Right? What's the first, what is the first temptation? Jesus, you look hungry. You know, if you're the son of God, let's see a little miracle here on earth. Why don't you go ahead and change this stone into bread? Remember something, he hadn't done one miracle yet. He was just baptized in the river Jordan. His father from heaven audibly spoke and said, behold, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Everybody heard the voice of God on that place. Nobody was like, I don't know about if God's real. He's real. And so now he comes to Jesus and says, why don't you change this stone into bread? I love what Jesus does. He quotes the word like a regular man who studied the scriptures like a regular Jewish man. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Satan's like, all right, all right, you know the word, okay. I'll come back later at a more opportune time when you're more low. I'll wait for the days to add up of your fasting and in the wilderness and feeling like you got nowhere to go. 
It's interesting. God will always drive you into the wilderness first, and then you'll come out and jump into rivers of life. It's amazing how God does that with us. He brings us through all of our pain. He says, let me just refresh you. But before that happens, Jesus has another temptation. Now, here's what I want you to pay attention to. The second temptation that Jesus does is now, I'm sorry, the second temptation that Satan does to Jesus is Satan quotes the scripture to Jesus. Now, isn't that funny? Satan quotes the word to the word. He's quoting the word to the word. This is the word that became flesh. Who's the word that became flesh? Jesus. He quotes the word to the word, and he says, you know, the the word says, the scripture says, that if you dash your foot against a stone, the angels will catch you. I'm paraphrasing. What just happened? Nobody really looks at this. Satan just tried to penetrate Jesus' mind with a suicidal thought. That means Jesus fought suicide. Hey, he was tempted in every way. You don't think suicide came to his idea? You don't think he wanted to end it quick and not go through all the pain of losing friends and being murdered the way he was murdered? He knew what was coming. But a suicidal thought came to Jesus, and Jesus now, Jesus gives away his identity. He says, it is written. I want every single one of you to shout this out. It It is is written. written. What does he say? Thou shall not tempt the Lord thy God. What did Jesus say? Son of man, son of God. What did he say? He just told Satan his complete identity. Satan's so lost, I don't think he understood what was going on. Right there, Satan should have went, you're God, I'm out. He didn't. He kept messing with him because he thinks he's human only. Now, when Jesus dies on the cross, he had already had the conversation. He came through the wilderness. He began to do the signs, wonders, and miracles. He, everywhere he went, revival hit every single city that he touched. Every person that came in contact with him, they were set on fire for God. They all of a sudden realized that there's a father that loves him somewhere. They realized that this, this is the one they've been searching their whole life, but he's been hidden from them because of the blinded eyes of the God of this world. And then Jesus dies on the cross. The day Jesus died on the cross, Satan goes, we got him. Just like we kill all the other prophets that come. You send them, God, we kill them. Send your teachers, we'll stone them. Send your prophets, we'll stone them. Send a guy that claims to be the Messiah, we'll kill him. Here's the problem. Day three. Now, would you go over there for a second? Go sit in that chair. You come sit back down. Jesus dies on the cross and Adam which is all the flesh of everybody that came from Adam, is left with him. And it appears for three days that Jesus has left them. But wait a minute, didn't Jesus say, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you? I will not leave you as orphans? Who can pluck you from my father's hand? They're like, those are really nice terms of endearment, but I'm not really feeling it. (laughs) I just watched you die in front of me. And now he's gone for three days. They're distressed. The Romans want to kill him. The Jewish, the, the Jewish temple is like sending out all their guards to kill him. 
But day three, Jesus shows up, tap out. Hang on, stay there. You go here, you go here. Jesus sits down and goes, hi. I'm back. And now I've made him just like me. And there's somebody else here that'd like to have a word with you. And there's somebody else that also wants to tell you what's about to happen. Hi. How you feeling? Yeah. It's gonna suck. Because here's the deal. This is our family and we're all in agreement. And then Jesus, you stand up. You put your hand on his shoulder. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. We got your back, son. Tear down his kingdom! Tear it down! Tear his kingdom down! Come on, somebody shout. Tear his kingdom down. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. That's powerful. You can leave now. <laughs> Let's give him a big God bless you. Okay? This is why we're here. We're not here to exist. Jesus did not die on the cross so we could exist. He says, I came to give you life more abundantly. Your purpose in life is not to exist. Your purpose in life, the whole reason for being alive, I said this Friday night, is your whole reason for being conceived in your mother's womb was that you would one day hear the gospel. There's no other reason. It was that you would hear the gospel and everybody else would hear it around you. That was the only reason you were born. Quickly go to Acts chapter 17 and verse 26. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't it great to know you don't just have the Holy Spirit. You got the Father and the Son got your back. He has called upon my name and I will answer him in distress and in trouble. You don't just have the Holy Spirit. You have the Father and the Son who sent the Holy Spirit to help you. It's not just the Holy Spirit. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Revelation says, and we will come and make our home inside of you. Now watch this. Acts chapter 17. Paul the apostle goes to the men of Athens. The men of Athens are like the uh, Galileos, the Socrates, and the Platos. These were philosophers. These were people who studied the stars, astrologers, scientists, philanthropists, maybe. You know, those kind of people. 
And Paul walks up to them like as if they're one of him. He's not bashing them over the head. In fact, he's quoting something that they say. Watch this in the verse 22. Then Paul said to the midst of the Areopagus and said, which is, this is Mars Hill. And he said, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. Paul said that. I perceive that you are very religious. He's talking about what you believe. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Do you know people today still don't know that father? They keep looking at this one. See, on the earth, you're still in between two fathers that are trying to have governance over your life. And it's up to you who you yield to. Jesus came who only did the will of his father. He did not follow the voice of a stranger. He followed the voice of his heavenly father. Whatever the Lord tells you to do, you do. I gave the example. To Jacksonville, Florida, the Lord told me to go back to Fort Walton Beach. We didn't have any money in our account. And I said, Lord, I don't want to go back and do it. I'm like arguing with God. God tells me to do something and I argue with him. I stopped doing that a long time ago. It's just not wise. It's just not wise. I want to, how many want to do only the will of the Father? I don't want to do anything else. Lord, you tell me to do it. Everything is up for grabs, whatever you want in my life. And see, here's what revival is. Revival comes to your heart, and it deals with the issues of your heart. It doesn't deal with your mind. Your mind's going to try to, well, how are we going to work that out? Well, how are the finances going to come for this? Well, I got a job, and I got to work this, and I got to do that. No, he comes after the heart of what you're doing. He wants to get your heart He wants your heart. He wants relationship with you. He doesn't want you to go through the rituals. Those rituals were caused from the fall. Let me just say something. God used those things like the slicing open of the lamb and putting the blood on the mercy seat as a symbol to you that ultimately I want to be that sacrifice for you and I'm going to be that sacrifice and all who receive me as that sacrifice I will make you a brand new home and there's things that I'm gonna do for you you haven't even conceived your eye hasn't seen it your ear hasn't heard yet for the things I wanna do for those who love me but in man's fallen mindset and I wanna say this about Christians because it is kind of an epidemic these days is Christians think they're serving that God, but really they're serving this God because if there's any doubt, there's any unbelief, there's any unsurety, you have turned your face away from God and started coming back to the old Adamic nature of how things really are and, you know, my five senses. You are trapped and limited by your five senses. You have five senses, tasting, touching, hearing, smelling, seeing. You think this is it. There is so much more beyond this. Because when you die, when you have a dirt nap and you push up daisies and the groundhogs are bringing your mail, <laughs> the spiritual realm becomes instantly yeah. eternal, technicolor, whatever you want, the only words we can think of on this earth to describe it, that is more real than the flesh realm. That's why we're a peculiar people. We know something by the Spirit that people in the flesh can't even understand. You know, you can preach the gospel, but not everybody's gonna hear it. 
Because the Father draws those chosen ones. He knows what seeds are planted in this earth. He's got a crop. Every 40 years, he's got a crop. He goes around and he's looking. He lets the wheat grow with the tares. You know, think about your own life for a second. Separate yourself from the whole rapture thing, okay? And just look at your own soul in your life. You have a wheat and you have a tear growing inside of your garden, your soul. And Jesus comes, gives you a brand new spirit. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, that he says, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise until the eternal day of redemption. That gave you a brand new spirit. That means that your spirit and his spirit, that's amazing to me, that God gave you the Holy Spirit. He gave you a brand new spirit that whoever's joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. That's what the word says. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's what the word says. That's what the word says. I'm not coming up with opinions. I don't want opinions. I want the word. The word will keep you. Can you say amen? So nice in this quiet Presbyterian church tonight. The word will keep you. When the storm comes, the word will keep you. Part of the problems with, with Pentecostals sometimes is we live on such a high, we don't know what to do when we come down off the mountain. Can I ask you a question? If the storm of your life is coming at you, does it change the word? It's the same. And just like Jesus went through the storms, Satan looked for a more opportune time to come in your life to knock you out. He irritated at you. You know why he's irritated at you? Because you're a child of God. I think when all the angels were created, according to the scripture, it says that he created the heavens and the earth and then all the hosts of the heavens. So that means all of them are finished and completed. They're ready to go. And then he was about to make man. And it's as if all the angels knew and realized their occupation that day was to take care of us. And they were mightier than us. They're taller than us. They're stronger than us. They're more beautiful beings than us, it seems. And God says, hmm, how can I really show how much I love? How can I really show my love? I'm gonna go past the angels and I'm gonna love dirt. You don't think God knew what was gonna happen? All of a sudden, it's like the angels went, wait a minute. And it wasn't just Satan, it was a third of the angels. Satan convinced them, but that means they have a will too. And they realized at that point that their whole eternal being and the reason they're in existence is to make sure that we're taken care of and they're servants for us to help us. And as we are servants for our Father in heaven who gave us this earth to tend and gave us a heart to tend. Fast forward, Genesis chapter six. Remember, God says, and God was sorry that he ever created man and he was grieved in his heart. That means God has a heart that can be grieved. He wanted a family, and all he got was everything but a family. How bad did the world have to get to become uninhabitable? Genesis chapter 2, four chapters later. Everybody say four chapters. Genesis chapter, yeah, thanks. Everybody was in unity. Genesis chapter 2 to Genesis chapter 6. Four chapters later, God goes, I'm sorry I ever created man. 
It means the earth had been multiplied. We don't even know how long that was. Could have been thousands of years. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I know this. The whole planet had become uninhabitable, not just because of the fall, but because of the fall and the multiplication of people, there was all kinds of chaos going on. Can you imagine living in a world where Adam's spirit died, but his flesh is still alive and he's making children who also have a dead spirit they're born with and they're only left to their soul and their flesh to get them through life. And Adam lived for 936 years or something? Can you imagine living 936 years and your spirit's dead? There's no presence of God with you. There's no connection with God at all. There's no rest for your soul and you're gonna raise your son? No wonder Cain became Cain. And Abel was second born. No wonder Abel was second. No wonder, no wonder why Abel said within his own heart, I wanna give the best I have to God. Because the first son took all the crap. That, sorry, is that a bad word? <laughs> the, the first son took all the junk that Adam had in his life. Can you imagine you're the first man ever and you're kicked out of the garden and you've turned your face from God? How is that son gonna be raised, Cain? What's that relationship like? How mad is Adam? Maybe he beat Cain. Maybe he raped Cain. I don't know. I'm just telling you, if you're a fallen mindset and you don't have the spirit of God and the presence of God, who knows what happened? And God is still a heavenly father who loves his kids no matter how bad they are because look what happens in Genesis chapter uh, four, verse six. God comes to Cain and tries to counsel him in his heart even though he's got a dead spirit. He's like, hey, Cain, listen, why are you got a bad countenance on you? Why are you mad at your brother? Don't you know if you do good, you'll be accepted? Just do good, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Just continue to do good. He's trying to show him something here. He says, be careful because sin lies at your door. Now listen to this. This is after they kicked out of the garden and this is before Christ comes and God says to Cain, sin lies at your door, but you must master it. How's that possible? I'm out of the garden of Eden and Christ hasn't come yet and God's counseling me to master sin. What's he doing with Cain? He's a father. He loves his boys, even though they're rebellious as all snot out. He is their father, and he's trying to help them even then. And that's the moment where Cain says, I don't want your correction. I don't want your guidance. I'm mad at maybe what my dad did. I am speculating a little bit there. So what? I'm upset with life, and I think you like Abel more than you like me. And murder enters into his heart. Now, I can fast forward and go right to Jesus where he says, you know, the law says that if you murder somebody, you should be killed for breaking the law. But I say, if you hate your brother without a cause, you have committed murder in your heart. That's why the Bible, it marries itself so well. Because Jesus was there. He knows the whole story. And he knows what he's doing with us. He was always trying to get to the heart of man. And God gave us a wonderful, beautiful thing. It's the most amazing thing. He gave us a heart. And when you live in this world, all of hell breaks loose against you from since you were a child. I mean, think about before you were even born. 
Think about this. You started the first nine months of your life, and if you were a preemie, six months. If you were a real preemie, four months. If you were a preemie, three months, we had you on tubes. But you spent nine months inside your mother's womb, was the most comfortable place you've ever been in your life. It was the greatest place. It was dark, which was actually great because you didn't have to stretch your eyes. You could just kind of, you ever laid in the pool? I have. I just, just lay in the pool. One time I was at the Ian Getty, which is in Israel, and they have the Dead Sea behind the place. I was with this guy named Angus Buck, and we did this big, huge Feast of Tabernacles, and there was like 6,000 people. It was awesome. And somebody came up to me and said, Roy, have you been in the Dead Sea? And I said, no. He goes, you should go in that place. It's got salt. You can't, you, you can't stay down on the ground. It, it makes you float. The sea makes you float. I looked at him, and I just very seriously went and said, brother, I've been to 41 countries. I've been to every ocean on this planet. Floating has never been a problem for me. <laughs> but have you ever just laid back in the water and let the water go in your ears? And you're like, no, I don't like that. Okay, well, I'm talking about the ones that do. <laughs> you lay back in the water and you just, I don't know, man. I could lay there for three, four hours easily and then come out looking like a date or a fig or a prune. But I just lay back there and it's the most peaceful thing. There's no sound. It's just, it's like, it's ridiculous utopia for me. I'm peace, that's how you start out life. And if you really think about it, the way you're born, I'm not trying to ruin everybody having children or anything because I have two of them. Um, you start out in this beautiful place, but what happens? You start to grow bigger and the pressure happens simply because what's in your life about to happen, but it becomes uncomfortable to you. God's not doing that. He put a seed and it's starting to grow. And as you grow, it becomes uncomfortable and it starts closing in. So you start going like this and your mom's like, it's so cute. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Honey, my water's broke. Okay. And what happens? How do you start life? Ready for this? This blinding light from earth, you see it, and that's why you scream. <laughs> because now there's a large humanoid figure with a mask going, okay, doctor, I got And you're like this. <laughs> because before you were like this. I can see the writing on the wall. I love this place. And then, <laughs> oh, doctor, we got saying clip it. I mean, that's how you start life. You're traumatized, for goodness sake. That's how we start life. We come out of the And then they're like, in the old days, they pick you upside down. They're like, smack, smack, smack. You're like, ah, 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 ah. welcome to earth. This is how you're going to start your life. Oh, my God. Put me back in. I can hear somebody, what has this got to do with revival? 
<laughs> and then they're rapping. Let me see. Let me see this for a second. I'll give it back to you. And then they're like, they're like, oh, what a cute little child. <laughs> and you're like. I guess this is earth. <laughs> and then finally, finally, they wrap you up and they put you under a heating lamp. Am I like a pig in a blanket? What's going on here? I can't see nothing. I just see silhouettes. What's going on? I'm not even making words. Everything I'm saying right now is just Here comes that doctor again. Oh, he's looking really good. I like that kid. He looks really good. Yeah. Then finally, they come with that big plunger. Oh my God! Ah! What a wonderful experience. My wife had a C-section with our first. That was really interesting. Is that her spine? Um, okay, so here's the deal. Now, finally, they take you out of the incubator and they put you next to your mom and you rest on her chest and you're, you're flipping out. You're, ah, 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 ah. Huh. Hmm. And all of a sudden, there's this bond, this connection. So here, you say, why did you do all that? What, you know, some of you are like, you're really killing the whole birth experience here, right? <laughs> because I want you to see something. You were never meant to go through all that mess. Well, how are babies gonna be born? I don't know. I don't think Adam and Eve had a belly button. Some of you are going, oh, that makes sense, I guess. I <laughs> you find comfort next to your mother, and this connection is made, and you feel safe. And then she has to teach you to be good. I told my daughter, don't touch the curio cabinet. She's nine months old. I'm laying on the couch watching a little something. It was, you know, spiritual. For me, it was. <laughs> and she starts in my peripheral. She starts walking towards the curio cabinet. And I got to say something to her because she's heading towards the curio cabinet 
has all of our, you know, wedding stuff and antique stuff and everything. And I said, Joy, she's nine months old. Don't touch that. And watch this. She doesn't know English. I mean, she only knows her mother's voice for nine months. All she remembers hearing is, that's all she heard for nine months. Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, wah, wah. Anyway, so I said, Joy, don't touch that. And I watched this nine-month-old child of mine, my daughter, putting two and two together, not understanding English, but she knows my voice, voice of her father. And she knows dad in his tone said, don't do that. And what happened? She sat up and she looked at me and I said, don't touch that joy. She went, I guess she went. And then I just went back to watching TV, but I'm, I'm totally like zoomed in with whatever she's gonna do. You know, I'm like muting the thing, listening, watching. And then I watch her make a decision. She's nine months. And she goes, almost like her face even, Jay's like. You were so cute, what happened? <laughs> she goes, starts heading towards it. She gets right up to it. I said, Joy! Don't touch the curio cabinet. No, no. She goes, now she's going like this. She's like, she's sitting up next to it and she goes. She didn't smile. She's actually really serious. She's like, so Joy. Don't touch it. She goes. <laughs> I find it very interesting that she made that choice when her father said, don't do this. And what she doesn't understand is I know what's for her own good before she has a clue what's for her own good. So I get out of my chair, couch, as the chips roll off my tummy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and I walk over towards her. <laughs> Some of you are going, I can see that. I don't know why. I totally see that. No. Well, I don't like potato chips, so anyway. So I walk over to her, and I take my two fingers. Now, some of you are going to be like, you did, you did not do that. Yeah, I did. So my two fingers, and I said, Joy, I told you no. And I guess I went, no. This is what she did. talking bloody murder. I mean, I am the worst parrot in the world. No. So I go over to her because I know what she's done. I know who she is. I know how much I love her. I know what's best for her. And I pick her up and she's like, now she's I'm 
I'm like, I'm going to cast the demon out of this little kid. It's like so devastating. And I'm trying to show her I know what's best for her, but she's not listening. Now, do I get mad at her and go, well, you shouldn't have done it, and that's all there is to it? No, I'm grabbing her to assure her that I love her. I'm trying to tell her, I'm your family. I'm here for you. I'm not leaving you. I'm not forsaking you. I'm going to discipline you, but I love you because I'm trying to help you. And finally, I get her to my chest, and I'm, I'm letting her go ahead, throw your temper, do whatever you want to do. I'm not leaving you. I'm your father, and you're not going to touch the the curio cabinet. I love you so much, but you are not going to destroy our two little champagne glasses. (laughs) I knew he had champagne. We don't drink champagne. She finally calms down, and now she's relaxed, and she does the same thing she did when she first was born, where she's freaking out in trauma, and she goes, (sighs) and she... She wore herself out so much, she just fell asleep. Just, <laughs> and I, I, it was like the night that you were out, the ladies' night, and I sat there with my arms around her, and she, she laid down with me in my couch, and I just held her. And you know, why did I tell you that story? That was always the intention of the father. And because we weren't getting the clue, he sent Jesus to get our attention and said, look, let me show you the template of how I see you. Follow Christ. He's the way, truth, and the life. He's the only way to me. I'm your father. I'm your God. And I love you. And the way you're taking me sometimes is completely wrong because I'm doing this for your benefit. One time, I was in my backyard I was going through a really dry season in my life at that time. It was just a few years ago, actually. Actually, it was a couple of years ago. And I'm walking, and we have an orchard in the backyard, and we have two ponds. We got tilapia and some catfish in there, and then we got, like, these fruit trees and everything. Some of you are like, I'm signing up. Can we come over? <laughs> so we, 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 we had that Hurricane Irma. How many remember Hurricane Irma? When it came, it made our papaya trees bow before the Lord. I mean, it was, a, it was the first hurricane I'd ever actually been in in 21 years. I always ran from all the hurricanes, you know, because I'm a man of faith. So, <laughs> that's why I did it. So, um, this, this hurricane came. It was pretty, it was pretty rough because we live out in Kissimmee. And if you remember, it hit Lakeland, but it really shook Orlando and everybody surrounding. It was supposed to hit St. Petersburg where my parents were. And my parents came to stay with us. And all of a sudden, just before it got up to St. Pete, it shifted and went to Naples, I think, or Fort something. Yeah, Naples. Naples. Naples? Anyway, so it went up to, it came up towards past St. Petersburg and started coming towards us. And my parents are at my house trying to make sure they're not at their trailer. They have a beautiful 55-plus retirement place trailer and all this. It's really nice. Yeah, it's the first place that tornadoes go, where's those mobile homes? <laughs> so, so it came and it blew and it just ruined our trees. It ruined the fruit. It just ruined a lot of stuff in our backyard. Well, that next day we went out to assess the damage and it had knocked over some of our mango trees and it knocked over our orange trees. And 
we have two people that actually fix the place because they own it and we rent from them there. And they're little Cambodian people who, they're really like four feet tall, but they're amazing people, but they're atheists. And so they take care of the garden and everything and all that. And they came over and uh, he, let it, he let this one tree just sit laid down for like months. And it got to the point where it just got dead. You know, it, was, it looked like it just died. So he must have done something to it. He chopped off all the limbs and all the leaves on it and the fruit and propped it back up. It looked like a petrified black, dark, gray fence post with some tape around it and a two by four, like he's gonna bring this thing back to life. And I was going through a low season in my life at that time. I was going through a couple things in my own heart and I was like really talking to God about it. I was like, maybe I've let you down some things. What can I do? And, and all of a sudden I see this tree and I'm like, why are you saving this tree? This thing is not producing nothing. It's been laying out for four months, it's dead. And I noticed that Peter, his name's Peter, was over by the side and I went over to him and said, Peter, why are you planting this tree back up? This atheist says to me, you're not a farmer, are you? I said, no. He goes, let me show you something. So we walk over there. This guy's like 65 years old. He points at the top of it. I mean, he can't even see it. And I'm tall enough where I can see it. And he points. He goes, you see that? And I go, what? And I look at the top. So imagine a fence post in the ground with a two by four tape around it and it's like got wires going down. And on top of it, there's one blade of grass. I mean, one blade of grass growing out the top of this thing. This atheist looks at me and says, good root, good fruit. And right there, the Lord spoke to me. He said, Roy, why do you feel that I'm done in this area of your life? He says, I know what I've planted in you, and you don't even see it yet. I am not done with you yet. That's a word for somebody here, by the way. He is not done with you. And, he, and then this atheist says to me, you watch, six months, this will have all kinds of fruit on it. Don't worry about it. I go, Peter, I'm like crying. I'm like, Peter, you're preaching the gospel. He goes, ha ha, that funny, and he walks away. <laughs> and I'm left there in the garden, our garden, looking at this tree going, unbelievable. See, God knows me as a father. He knows you as a father. He's trying to be a family to us. Revival comes when you become closer to your father. It gives you boldness. It gives you courage. It gives you confidence. It's him always constantly assuring you you're going to make it. You're not going to fall. If you fall, I'll pick you back up. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times, but gets back up again. But the wicked fall by way of calamity. And so I saw these things by the Spirit. He's a family. We've missed this in a lot of ways because we go after God trying to get this and this and that, but it's always been a relationship from the beginning, and it has to be a relationship in the end. Out of relationship. That's why the Holy Spirit's so wonderful because when you open up your heart to him, he comes in and reveals to you all things. It even says you don't even have to be taught anything for the Holy Spirit within you will teach you all of these things. And you can pull confidence from God on that. You can start going out into the highways and the byways and begin to minister to people with boldness. 
How many need some more boldness in your life where you just face right on and go, let me tell you something. I've got something that can help your life. I'm not just saying this here. I practice this everyday life. The more you turn and realize what God did for you, what God did through Christ, and what Christ did when he went and returned to the Father to pray for you, you're worried that somebody's not praying for you? You got Jesus praying for you. Does anybody care? Yeah, Jesus. He's making intercession ever so for you that you will understand. And you know what? It's interesting. We pray to him and he's praying to us. You know what he's praying? I pray that you believe what I did was enough because it was. And you're enough. I designed you. Last Friday, I said, look at your fingers. You have unique fingerprints that nobody else in the world has, even if you're a twin or if you have siblings that are all twins. Uh, that doesn't make any sense, but they all look like you. <laughs> you. You've been wonderfully and specially made. God made you unique. And he wants to, he really, really wants us to see the family that he established for us. You know, uh, Pastor Jeff and I were talking last Friday. And you know, look, I... I didn't ask to come here. I got called by your pastor. Honestly, I was not looking to come here and speak. We're, we're involved in lots of stuff right now. We got lots of projects we're involved in at the moment. I didn't really, I, it wasn't like on my radar, but the moment Pastor Caleb called me, as I always do, run it through my spirit filter, and I go, Jesus, yes or no? I mean, I've turned down many big things and some very big events, and when he spoke to me and says, would you come? I said, yes. Do you know one of the main reasons is because of relationship? Now, sometimes I don't know the person they're asking me to come, and the Lord says, go there. You're gonna be there a while. We've gone, and we've stayed forever, man. We went to Michigan one time. We were in, um, Mus you're from Michigan? Get out of town. What part? Flint. We were in Muskegon. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. We went to the places where Flint doesn't come to minister. No, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. So, <laughs> so we went to Muskegon, Michigan, and I walked in through the front door on a late, late Saturday night, which is really about 2 or 3 o'clock on Sunday morning. Never met the pastor. We felt good that we were supposed to go there. The moment I walked in the doors, the Lord said to me, you're going to be here a while. And we had a 40-foot bus with a 20-foot motor coach. My wife and my kids were on the road. We left everything um, when you hear Pastor Rodney talk about when he left Africa, we had heard his story and it inspired us. So in 2005, we left everything, gave everything up, and we went up and down the east coast of America believing God was gonna move. And then in 2008, the Lakeland Revival happened and touched millions around the world. You know, one meeting will change your life. You might think tonight, why am I here? I'm just hearing stories and laughing a little bit. No, 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 you don't understand what's going on. I'm breaking your heart open a little bit. I'm getting through your head, past your head, and trying to get into your heart. Amen. Why do the meetings go on so long? Because you're in them. Because yeah. <laughs> sometimes it takes people two to three hours to get out of their head and into their heart. Because the cares of this world gather up around you, they callous you, they put a film over you, and you gotta come in and worship and go, get that off of me, get that off of me. I praise God with everything within me. I'm gonna touch heaven tonight. If nobody else touches heaven, I'm touching heaven tonight. If nobody goes in, I'm going in. And if I go in, I'm gonna grab as many people as I can and bring them in with me. 
So we went to Michigan and we were there for 52 nights, 54 nights, I think it was 54 nights. Thousands of people came to this little city. Their unemployment, my wife and I checked this out. We prayed for the, the finances of that city. We went to all around the place. We prayed for people and business and everything. We were there, it was like 17% unemployment. By January, we were there in October, November, and December, and by January, the unemployment dropped to 12%. Because we had revival meetings. Who was running for, it was the guy running for mayor? For judge, he was running for judge. And he came to the meetings and he got rocked. He was Catholic and he came off the ground and he goes, I know I'm going to heaven. Oh my gosh, I know I'm going to heaven. And it touched his whole family. His kids came, his wife came, the whole, the whole family just got smashed by God. And those, those, that just happened. So, so the Lord, here's why I brought this up. The Lord spoke that to me before it ever happened. When you connect with who you realize what he did for you, he will tell you everything you need to know way before it's gonna happen. See, most people don't realize who they are. I'm convinced there's two reasons why people sin. They really don't know what Jesus did for them and who their heavenly father is, and they really don't know who they are. And they keep searching that everlasting question, why am I here, what's my purpose, how come this is going on, what's this all about? And even Christians are like this. Some people become part-time atheists that are Christians. Which really is a way of saying you just keep turning the chair away from your family and back to the one who's the God of this world who's been judged. And for some reason, we turn back to that guy. Well, maybe we can't do it. You know what, maybe we... Every idle word comes to you. It tries to convince you that it's not good enough. You have to know what he's done for you. Put your hand on your heart for a moment, okay? It's by faith that we enter in. It's by faith that we know him. It was accounted righteousness to Abraham because of his faith. And God has given every single one of us a measure of faith. You that are online tonight, keep sharing this, okay? He's given every person a measure of faith. And we get the opportunity to do something with it. This is not just about coming to a meeting every night. This is about getting an impartation of faith getting an impartation of fire to burn out some of the stuff. See, for some people, some people weep in these meetings, some people laugh, some people weep and laugh at the same time. When that happens, oh my gosh, the Holy Spirit's all over you. You're like, <laughs> or you're, <laughs> I mean, some of you, your prayer life has been dry, some of you. You try to pray and you can't even get the engine started. You're like, Father, we come before you. <laughs> Maybe I'll get some WD-40. Where's that ether? Oh, Lord, we come before you. You know what you really need? 
you need a shot of the Holy Ghost. A little shot of ether. You do. Fire! And then boom! And you're back with your family. And there's a mission, there's a mandate what to do. And all of a sudden, when you turn back to look at this guy, Satan, your eyes are full of fire and you're looking every place you can to tear down all of his works. And you don't care about the doubt and unbelief. You don't even listen to it. I said this on Friday night. Your spirit is like, it's done. What are you talking about? Your flesh is like, I don't know. We probably need to pray a little harder. <laughs> it's done. Now listen to this. Jesus returns back to the Father. And the apostle Paul says, we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Right now. All Satan ever was and is, is just a lie. He is actually the epitome of a lie. Jesus said he was a liar from the beginning. There's no truth in him. That means if there's any condemnation that tries to come at you, it's impossible for it to be from your heavenly father because he doesn't condemn anyone. I did not condemn my daughter Joy for touching the curio cabinet. I corrected her. There's a difference. And we've had, we've had joy and we've had David, my two children, and you know, my wife's here tonight, of course, and she's done an amazing job. She's homeschooled both our children the entire <laughs> life, entire life. And um, I'm always the disciplinarian. Apply the Board of Education to their seat of learning. Joy used to tell me that she would hear me in the bus and she would always send David in first if they both got, both got in trouble because she would hear a spanking on David or something like that. And she'd go, okay, I think I can handle that. She's like working it out, right? And then she'd come in and she's like, oh, couldn't handle that. <laughs> But you know, I don't have to discipline them anymore. I really don't. I'm actually, they're just for advice now, they're adults. I've watched them grow up. God's been watching us grow up. And he sent his spirit, man. Is anybody more grateful than I am for having his Holy Spirit be our guide, man?